Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn, where we talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. In today's episode, we are going to be continuing our Pokemon movie franchise with Pokemon the Movie 2000. And if you haven't seen it in over 20 years, <laughs> spoilers ahead. Yes. So Pokemon the Movie 2000, The Power of One, is a 1999 Japanese animated fantasy film. And despite the name... It is actually the second movie in the uh, Pokemon franchise, not the 2000th, just to make that very clear. The Power of One has two parts, the feature presentation and a 20-minute preceding short. The film was released in uh, Japanese theaters on July 17th of 1999. The English version was produced by 4Kids Entertainment and licensed by Warner Brothers. And this was released in the United States on July 21st of 2000. The Power of One earned less in the box office than its predecessor, Pokemon the first movie, but it was a financial success and received better, albeit still negative reviews upon release. So, I don't know about you, but starting from like the fifth movie, they stopped numbering them, and... <laughs> I kind of miss how they did it because I was like Pokemon 2000 based on the year they still were able to put two to make sure it's like still the second one. Pokemon 3 is just called Pokemon 3 but then they have Pokemon Forever for 4. Mm -hmm. I kind of like how they did that like incorporated the name with the number and I just kind of wish they continued that. The fifth one Pokemon 5 ever. (laughs) probably i think wasn't the it, it would have got difficult because they have a lot of movies it would have been very difficult to to keep that game. oh absolutely but like i feel like up until i don't know like maybe 10 or something you probably could have figured it something out because freaking yeah. uh i know it's probably easier but like 007 the james bond movies they always name they figure out a way to name it using the two o's and the seven um to make the double mm. seven so i don't know i just really like their naming sense and i wish it could have continued a little longer but like you said it it definitely would have been very hard to keep it going and i understand that i just i don't know i just kind of i liked it how they were able to incorporate some of the names in it that is such a weird critique to have of a movie <laughs> franchise, though. Like, just such a weird... Not like, man, I wish the acting was better and the story had, like, a better plot. No, I wish they used numbers still. Look at it. Man. It was just, like... Numbers, they really amplified how great that film was. It was just weird, because, like, they just stopped after four. And it's just, like... I, I just wondered if they, like, tried or if they just really got tired, because... The fifth movie was, if I'm not mistaken, Heroes, with uh, the. I don't believe I saw that one. Latias and Latios, as the. Oh, I've I think I've briefly. I think it's called Pokemon Heroes. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do a rewatch of a lot of movies. Yeah, but in the future, it was just weird that I just thought it was weird that they just stopped unless they somehow knew they were gonna make 
keep or make all all these movies and keep going, but who knows? But anyways, enough about my critique about their numbering sets. So Pokemon two thousand. Ash and his friends are on their journey through the Orange Islands. But even this seemingly quiet chain of islands dotted throughout the waters far south of Kanto has its own mysteries, adventures, and legendary Pokemon. Lawrence III certainly knows it, which is why he is now traveling to the different islands and capturing the three legendary birds, Moltres, Articuno, and Zapdos. But even with all their power, those three are merely a stepping stone to an even greater prize, Lugia, the guardian of the sea. Of course, Ash is completely unaware of all this when he arrives at his latest destination. The islanders have big plans for him too, but nothing so sinister. They want him to take part in a ceremony to gather three elemental balls from different islands. When the weather across the world goes out of control, this t- this task takes on a new importance, as the capture of the legendary birds has thrown the environment out of balance. With Lugia's help, can Ash be the chosen one that everyone turns to? That was that was a really good synopsis. Like that, punctual to the point. Yeah, covers it all. And and that's that. That's this episode. It, it, for <laughs> Thank you guys for watching that. <laughs> But yeah, I thought it was cool because it really does. I think that's what I liked about this, though, because it really does tell you what the whole story is about without really giving any spoilers. Because even if you didn't know about the legendary Pokemon within the first literally like five minutes when you meet the collector, he tells you it. So it's not really spoilers, but then it definitely gives you an overall view of it without any i think without Mm -hmm. really any spoilers yeah so i you know when i first watched this movie i really liked it because i mean one the legendary birds are pretty sweet legendaries and i probably uh probably an unpopular opinion i don't actually know but i think the legendary birds are probably my most favorite legendaries of trios out of all the games the legendary dogs being a close second but uh yeah i think it's just probably the nostalgia and the originality of the trio that they're my favorite so this movie uh was a very good one in my eyes when i first watched it because yeah they're kind of a focus of it but then it was also i i also really liked this movie because then they introduced lugia which happens to be one of my favorite legendary birds in general or uh, one of my favorite legendaries in general so it had a little bit of everything I liked in this movie. It was cool. I would say, even though I've kept up with Pokemon, I was saying, how many legendary birds are there besides like these four yeah, and Hello? I'm, I'm legendary, and, not, not but, birds. Yeah, I think to this day, I'm trying to think. I I don't think I since Lugia has came out. There's definitely been a lot of legendaries that I'm like, oh my god, this is cool. Like especially Rayquaza was definitely an awesome legendary don't get me wrong and it's stats you can't compete with its stats but like just liking the pokemon itself i think lugia has still remained like my favorite legendary so i do have a little bias towards this but i'll also (laughs) once we get to the end there's another reason why i also kind of like this better than a lot of the newer ones 
But again, it will probably still have a little bit bias towards it, and maybe because I watched it when I was younger, so it, the nostalgia, like you said. But like I said, once we get down towards the ending, I'll give a few more reasons to kind of justify my opinion. Okay, cool. So we start out our journey by hearing a prophecy about the three titans of fire, ice, and lightning, and the beast of the sea. We are met with an unknown man who seems to enjoy collecting things, as you mentioned, the Collector. And he's talking to his ship's AI about capturing the legendary titans who are Moltres, Zapdos, and Articuno. The first spot he has his eyes on is the Fire Island. And to be honest, I was actually pretty surprised with how easy it was for him to catch Moltres. Because he's his ship's cannons like shoot fire or shoot ice to lure it out and then weaken it before catching it in this electric cage of sorts that's kept inside of the ship and after Moltres's capture we learn that his aim isn't really just the three birds but the biggest prize of them all which is the beast of the sea Lugia but yeah I feel like they had to really they really got this show roll this movie rolling by capturing Articuno so or uh, Moltres so easily. It's just like one of those things that kind of starts the chain of events. Yeah, it also kind of felt bad for Moltres because he didn't really have much time. He because no, he got wrecked. <laughs> Zapdos kind of. I think Zapdos probably got the most spotlight out of the three birds. Yes, I would agree. But again, I just feel like this movie kind of does the legendary birds a little dirty because of how easy they kind of get defeated. Where, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the other ones... Then again, like, a lot of the other ones only have to focus on, like, one legendary. So it's a lot easier to make them stronger. Because if it's only one... Where this one kind of had to share the spotlight. Not between the three legendary birds, but also Lugia. Mm-hmm. And I'm always, I always was curious as to, like... They call... Like, he calls it... Even in the movie, at least in the dub version, I don't know about the sub, he calls them the Beast of the Sea. But then on the synopsis, he's regarded as the Guardian of the Sea. So it's just kind of funny how, one, you could look at it because, like, I think, I wonder if they kind of did that as, like, because I think the prophecy says the Beast of the Sea, but then, like, Slow King calls him the Guardian of the Sea. So it's, like... Depending on what side you're on, I don't know if that was meant for that. Like, kind of show the foreshadowing. I mean, obviously, he's already capturing, and you kind of knew he was the bad guy. But the people who refer to Lugia as the Beast of the Sea were more the bad people, and the people who called him Guardian of the Sea were, like, the good people. Hmm. I never really noticed that, actually, before. I only noticed that because I just recently watched it. <laughs> But I just thought it was funny how they interchanged Guardian and Beast. But That is interesting. But now we are back to our usual heroes, Ash, Misty, and Tracy, who, if you were watching the Orange Islands before that, you'd know that Tracy was here instead of Brock, who, after the journey on the Orange Islands, is setting off on yet another adventure. Though it may not be the adventure they planned, as riding in a boat, a sudden storm brings them off course where they arrive at Shamudi Island. But the freak storm wasn't the only strange phenomenon that happened, because at back at Pallet Town we see a freak shower 
followed by a snowfall, and then like the northern lights all show up within a span. Well, in the movie, it was like a couple minutes, but who knows how long it was in their time. And not to mention, all the Pokemon seem to be in distress. And Professor Oak mentions that some he thinks something bad is about to happen. Yes, but not before a festival. Here on Shmoody Island, they have the Legend Festival. And this begins, and Ash becomes the Chosen One. But it's mostly for the tourists for now, anyways. At this festival, we see Melody play the flute and ash gets told what he has to do he has to go out and grab these three glass orbs from each island and bring them back to the shrine where melody plays her song and really that would conclude the festival and easy peasy like that's it that's the festival it's over type of thing yeah pretty simple and this is another thing you keep changing the name of these stupid things like Slowking calls them treasures. They call them, like, glass orbs. And, like, I guess everyone ha- would call it different because they don't, like, really know what it is. But So if you hear us naming any of those, using those names, we're referring to the exact same thing. Yeah. But to be fair, if it was some sort of artifact that is very important, I feel like they would have a unified name. But I guess Slowking probably isn't in close contact with humans so maybe he didn't pick up the human naming convention that's true he because every time we look at him he's like in a cave or he's kind of like secluded Mm -hmm. maybe he um maybe he knows the real names of things and people just call him what they they are known to be in the human world so slow king is probably the actual correct uh person to reference i would think so too because melody even makes a remark when they show up in all their like traditional things she's like yeah that was popular like a few centuries ago this is the modern day why are we still wearing those goofy costumes so (laughs) but we all know ash as being the calm collected and rational self he decides to immediately (laughs) instead of waiting until tomorrow it's best to go right now in the middle of a night makes sense yeah no i see no flaws in that plan in a storm (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i said no no flaws was just him and i think marini was the boat captain i forget her name but melody feeling responsible since she was the one who chose ash to be the chosen one because you got to remember before all this stuff happened this was just like a festival they decided and whenever a pokemon trainer would come they would choose a random pokemon trainer to become the chosen one so this is why it's all like kind of coincidence and then plot (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like why yeah that was one thing it's just like they had to throw that in there like okay i guess that's why he's being chosen but i do like it because it at least made it so they did a very punny way of how like in the prophecy we'll get to it when we like say it but i do kind of like it because it makes it more i guess realistic or it doesn't feel forced because they're like oh this is a festival they talk about hold the truth it like all lines together nice so like yeah they did it for plot reasons but 
they make it so it's not as far-fetched as just, oh, you need to go to this mystical island and do this. They're like, oh, no, this is just a tradition, but then it turns into more. So I thought it was... The tradition was based in some fact. Yeah. It was just lost along the way. So, like I said, Melody feeling responsible because she sees how bad this storm goes. Uh, she chooses to chase after Ash and Misty and Tracy tag along. And also maybe Team Rocket, who snuck their way on board after crashing on the island twice. <laughs> and with this... But the storm isn't only affecting Orange Islands. We see through a broadcast that it's on a global scale. And not only that, but all the Pokemon are still are acting in a frenzy. And then we get we get a little nice voiceover. Disturb not the balance of fire, ice, and lightning, lest the world or in which they clash and the world will turn to ash. As gets repeated as the collector is notified that Zapdos is near. Bum, 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 bum. Yes. So, going back to Ash, he is obviously going through this weather storm and he narrowly avoids rocks as his ship crashes on Fire Island, where Pikachu guides him to a statue and he is able to grab the fire orb. Also, Apparently, Melody is able to kind of make her speedboat go to a sailboat and fly and drift her way up some stairs to where Ash is. Uh, and Team Rocket attempts to steal Pikachu, but is cut short when the ship comes flying in. And once everyone is reunited, Zapdos decides to make his, her, it, their appearance. And also... I can say this is probably the first time Ash has seen a new Pokemon, a legendary one nonetheless, and knew his name without using the Pokedex. So that is a proud moment for Ash. He is able to just recall this. Like he's he's an idiot most of the time. But this one time he's like, Oh yeah, I know that one. Never seen this Pokemon before in my life, but I know that one. Yeah, it's like because he didn't even know Ho-El, which makes sense when he first started. But then it's like, so he either knows of the legendary birds or something, because he's like the first one that goes, it's Zapdos. And, I, and just like when I watched that, <laughs> like rewatched that, I'm like, oh my god. He didn't use a Pokedex. He didn't use a Pokedex throughout this entire movie. And I'm just like, wow, he actually knew that. Maybe he did his research before coming to the island. That he just accidentally, consequently <laughs> landed because of a freak storm? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose. Never mind. I, I see my... <laughs> but I just thought it was... I'd, like, I'm just like, wow. Good for you. You actually... Maybe you were actually starting to become a Pokemon master because you actually knew some Pokemon without having the Pokedex tell you. Yeah, you'd be um, you'd be false. <laughs> you'd be wrong if you said that because <laughs> this is like a one-time event. Uh, so then Zapdos, making his way to Fire Island, begins to electrify the entire island and Pikachu starts to communicate asking where Moltres was. 
And again, this was a another phenomenon that like all the Pokemon knew because Pikachu knew exactly where that orb was and guided him like to all of them practically. But like even all the frenzy Pokemon knew where this was happening. So like everyone knew of these legendary Pokemon. And I'm just I just always been curious how like natural instinct. Pokemon Instinct. They all know it deep down in their bones, and they just don't realize it until they need that information. I mean, it could be. That's basically what the movie says. It, oh, really? I yeah. <laughs> <It's been a laughs> we actually discuss it, like, literally right after this. Um, oh, well, shit. But, yeah, that it, it's pretty much what it says. But I was just always curious because, like, even Pikachu knew this was Fire Island and Moltres lived here because... Zapdos just says, Moltres is gone now, gone now, and now lightning shall rule Fire Island. That was until the Collector shows up once again and captures him. Though I must, I gotta give him credit. He prepared everything. He prepared ice bullets for Moltres, and then he was able to have his ship act like a battery and absorb all of Zapdos' electricity to weaken him, so... I do got to give him kudos. He actually prepared for it. <laughs> but while he captured him, he didn't only just capture Zapdos, but also Ash and company along with Team Rocket. And then we also get a first glimpse at a shadowy figure hidden in the sea. But on board the ship, they see the captured Moltres as Melody reads aloud the prophecy again that happens to be right there. And though... I'm really not sure why the collector has them in a like cage, but then just lets him out as he goes like back up because he gets a warning that Articuno is like coming. So the gang doesn't really get to ask him questions, but I'm just like, why, why would you just release them? Because like, he mentions he's a collector and he has like all this treasure in his room and not to mention the two legendary birds. So instead of just leaving them in the cage, he just lets them roam free. And I'm just like, why? Like I, that's one okay. thing I'm just like, yeah. why? To be fair, he's a collector, not a human trafficker. So he's he's not someone who's just going to keep people locked up. He's not a thief. I mean, I guess he is kind of a thief. But he's not an animal. So he's like, listen, I just want the birds. Y'all can get out of your cage. I don't, you don't need to be prisoners. Like, how often do you invite someone into your home and walk out of the room? You don't expect them to just, like, try to free your pets but i mean he didn't really welcome them he they were just more collateral damage but true but still he i mean he's he just wants pokemon he doesn't really care he's and he hasn't made an enemy out of these people so he has no reason to think there will be ill intent on them releasing the pokemon because in his eyes he's just catching another pokemon like anybody else would i mean they do call him a monster <laughs> I mean, but true. But I I see your reasoning. Maybe he was very maybe he was very confident in his system. That I could easily see based on some other things that happened throughout the movie. 
And the fact that they kind of give him, like, this gentleman appearance. But it's just like, well, if you weren't going to, like, keep the prisoner, you could have just kind of, like, shooed them away or, like, taken them. Just drop them. Yeah. Like, why would you keep them in your collection room? Yeah, I mean, that was... That was an oversight on his part. Like it, like you could have put them in like some other part of your ship or something, but he just left them there and completely ignored them. And then he gets surprised when they get released. And I'm just like, what did you think was going to happen when you left Pokemon trainers in your room unattended? Fair, fair enough. <laughs> He just didn't want kidnapping charges pressed against him on the show. <laughs> yeah, because that's, that's his major worry is he's going on a global or a scale of, I don't, I don't know what you call it, but he's making the whole world go crazy with all these different climates and shit because he's capturing them. Is it, is it illegal, though? Is it illegal? Because he's just capturing a Pokemon like anybody else would. I don't know if there's any laws that say you can't catch a Pokemon if it controls the balance of the I think there is the a law because Team Rocket tries to st- capture <laughs> quote unquote capture wild Pokemon without using Pokeballs or other method like your standard methods so I think since he didn't but use a also, Pokeball I think that's <laughs> also Team Rocket though is a terrorist organization <laughs> that also steals people's Pokemon so there's a little less leniency <laughs> on their part that's true the, they're really in this world isn't the greatest at least when it comes yeah. it seems when it comes to the <laughs> Pokemon crimes because there's always seems to be terrorist organizations that <laughs> arrive yeah. everywhere with great power comes great terrorist organizations <laughs> anyway so meanwhile the news is trying to figure out what's going on when they ask Professor Oak what he thinks Oak talks about how ancient waters say that it, this area is the cradle of the sea and something must have happened to the balance pokemon from all over are gathering here since they are more attuned with uh nature than the humans are because they just happen to know something is wrong similar to how i just said it's more like a instinct thing so we go back to the collector's ship and the gang decides that they need to free moltres and zapdos and i'm so glad that uh, Ash learns from his experiences because I mean the first movie he tries to run up and punch Mewtwo you remember that so yeah he gets a little small smarter this time well well I guess he really doesn't though because uh, he, he runs at the cage and immediately uh, bounces back because it's you know a fucking cage <laughs> and uh, it didn't work the first time so it would probably work the second time <laughs> So this time he he uses his Pokemon to help bust Moltres out of the cage while Team Rocket tries to bust Zapdos out of the cage. Once free, the two birds begin to destroy the ship and they end up crash landing at Lightning Island, which is very convenient. It really is because I was like, Zapdos came to Fire Island, so why were they on their way to Lightning Island when Articuno was shown coming towards them but then their fight is at his island so i'm just like yeah i always got confused i'm like where's this where's this ship located where's it actually at 
it's <laughs> everywhere. But also, it is nowhere at the same exact time. But yeah, I just love that. Azure's first instinct is, you know, I have these mystical beings that have supernatural power, but I'm going to run in and practically use my fist instead. And he runs into the cage yeah, and gets he, bounced back immediately. He really is the <laughs> smartest guy. He His his first reaction is just to go head first and use his brawn, which kind of makes sense because I'm pretty sure uh, when, in the first episode or somewhere along the first episodes when he has Pikachu, he basically just brute forces Pikachu's <laughs> love and affection. <laughs> And then he gets electrocuted like a bunch of times. So he's he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. Not to mention at some point in the first season when they get to Sabrina and they show like psychic powers of this dude. I can, oh, they can <laughs> yeah. spoons. He goes, I can do that too. <laughs> Braun breeds brain every time. So I guess that's not, <sighs> or I guess that is true that he is very brawn over brains. Okay, you know what though? Actually, just thinking about it, it does make sense because he is a ten-year-old. You know, I so. I always kind of forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Until just now, it does make a lot of sense why he just rushes head first into everything. But at least this time, he actually thought of using his Pokemon instead of waiting sure. for something to happen. <laughs> but. Like you mentioned of their crash landing, I'm not sure if you can call it lucky because, I mean, they still did crash. But <laughs> because of the crash, part of the ship destroys the temple and Ash is able to grab the lightning sphere because it just happens to roll right in front of him. <laughs> but <laughs> ridiculous. that one was like, I feel like because Zapdos came over, that it was like, all right. Well, now how do we get them to Lightning Island? I think that was a little misstep on there. I think that's really the only, like, forced thing I really feel in this movie was that this part, this portion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Everything else seemed fairly explainable. Like, everything made sense in the order that yeah. they happened. So, even even the fact that Ash was the chosen one makes sense with their reasoning behind he was like a, a visitor type of thing. And then they use the so. kind of like a, basically a pun when the last verse of the prophecy is thus the world shall turn to Ash. We'll turn, yeah. Yeah, I really like that actually. When Yeah, it's just a, a little clever. Yeah, so I think, like I said... I think this was really the only force, but at the same time, like, yeah, it was forced as, like, but they still played it off really well, like, how the whole ship got destroyed yeah. and everything, and um, that the crash landed there, so it, while it was forced, it wasn't as forced as, like, a lot of other things. Yeah, I was gonna say, I've seen worse yeah. plots, and, um, yeah, and settings and stuff. I've, I've, I've seen it a lot worse. So it wasn't bad, especially for a 1999 yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. So after they managed to escape, they get back to their boat that was also captured with them. And But just as it seems, it was about to fall off this like waterfall and crash. And mysterious water cyclone carries it and brings it back to the shrine where Slow King is waiting and tells Ash to put the 
treasure spheres into this like ritual type spot and each sphere has its own little stand that if you look through it has a little like opening that shows you which island it belongs to of course he only has two of the three and now he must go and retrieve the last one to bring back the balance the problem is all three legendary birds happen to be having their fight over at that island. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a it's quite a predicament. But of course, finally, this is when Lugia makes his appearance. After Ash puts the treasures in their spots, Lugia rises out of the sea and starts to battle the other three birds and attempt to calm them down. And this uh, we can kind of see because we, like you said, we had that kind of juxtaposition of him being the guardian of the sea, but also the beast of the sea. So it can be seen like, Oh, he's fighting these creatures. He's a beast, but actually in reality, he is the guardian because he is trying to restore balance. So just like it was said in the prophecy alone, the song shall fail. Thus the world shall turn to ash. Once Lugia gets taken down, Slow King and the rest convince Ash that he is the chosen one. Melody notes that the sound Lugia makes is like the song she plays, and when she plays it or plays the song, Lugia gets re-energized and comes back thanking her. He speaks with them telepathically and tells Ash that he will take him to Ice Island to retrieve the final treasure. So it was cool that Lugia comes and then he seems to be like kind of dominating at first. But then while he's trying to protect them because they start to attack that like ritual spot, he gets like taken down and then he gets restored by the song. But one thing I want to like iterate on this Again, this is because, like, kind of looking at it a second time. If you look, he doesn't really attack any of the birds. He just kind of, like, is chasing them off or, like, defending. He never goes out of his way to actually attack. He's actually being, like, the guardian. He's like a like a sheepdog herding Yeah, dog. pretty much. So, sort of. It's so like of. he knows that... They were angered and like the whole reason why, because obviously someone forcibly captured them, took them out of their things. So he knows it's like not their fault, but still their fault. And so he's not trying to hurt them, but he's just trying to calm them down. So I think that's cool aspect that until he actually gets angry at one point, he never really goes out of his way to attack. Mm-hmm. And then, like you mentioned, he was able to speak with them, and after they convinced that he needs to go, we see Ash make a like makeshift sled out of the broken parts of the boat, and he ties them to Bulbasaur, Squirtle, and Charizard. Charizard, I 100% get. He's flying, and like <laughs> he can pull it, but like just before this. Ash was having such a hard time walking because there's like a foot of snow and 
I don't know if maybe he was just completely on ice at the, I think he was on ice at this point. Maybe okay, maybe that makes more sense. Because I'm like Squidward and Bulbasaur have little ass legs. How is he It's all that torque. <laughs> they have so much torque in those legs. I'm like how are they going out of this foot of snow? But then I think he must have waited until they either got out of the snow because I think once they get on the ice cuz when it capsizes uh it like shows that there's water and stuff. So maybe by the time we see them doing this, they're already on ice. So as he's on his way there, Lugia is managing to protect him as best he can against the three birds. But one attack does come through, breaking the ice, causing them to capsize pretty much and losing his homemade sled. But luckily, Team Rocket, who wants to be the good guys for once because they said... There's nobody else left in the world. Even if they do survive, if there's nobody else in the left in the world, who can they steal from? They come to the rescue and help Ash get to Ice Island and retrieve the final treasure. But one thing, I'm not gonna lie, the animation of them going through like this tunnel and everything was really cool, and I feel like they kind of did this to show off their animation skills because. Probably. If you go to Fire Island, they had like a Temple of Stairs and Lightning Island. They didn't really go up like stairs, but you didn't really see much like a very long way to the temple where it like was crashed and everything. But then all of a sudden when you get to Ice Island, not only is there like no stairs or anything, it's just this long ass tunnel that they happen to go out and like an ice bridge and then a tunnel. Like, why was Ice Island the only one that had a tunnel? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good, yeah, that is a good question. You would think they would be very similar seeing that it's like a balance thing. Right, so. and that's some, uniform. and that's someone, because according to like tradition and everything that they choose someone for ceremonial purposes to actually go and fetch these items. It's <laughs> like, God damn, they do this all the time. Like imagine just being one person having to go up this long ass tunnel, crossing an right. ice bridge to another tunnel till you finally get to where you need to go. And I'm just like, Hmm, that, yeah. Why? I guess like if you, who made this? <laughs> if you look at it, if you do look at the islands, the ice island is, like, very tall vertically. So, like, it makes some sense, but I, I was just always like, why did the fire and lightning island look so similar, but then ice island had to be so different? <laughs> Maybe they ran out of real estate and they're like, shit, all we have left is a really tall island. Why did we could have just chilled with, like, two towers? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're just... It's just... They got the short end of the straw, and they're like, shit, we're going to have to figure this out. Maybe Ash landed on the wrong side of the island. Maybe there's a staircase on the other side, and there's a, a tunnel to get down, and he didn't realize it for all the other islands, but there's a tunnel maybe, there, too. Maybe the tunnel is supposed to kind of be like a slide to let you get down easier. Yeah. You did all <laughs> that work getting up, so how, how about have an easy way down? He just forgot to look at the other side That's, of the island. Yeah, that Idiot. must be it. <laughs> Just as they're about to leave this island, their makeshift raft gets destroyed. But luckily, while 
While running down, Lugia comes by and offers him a ride back. Team Rocket also manages to grab onto Lugia's hind leg to hitch a ride as well, luckily for them. I, Okay, I just have to love how much Team Rocket's always involved in each movie. It's just very comedic. Yeah, I do like it because a lot of times they're not really forced interactions they because they really stay true to their nature like even in their movies so i do really like that yeah. they include because they're pretty much as much of a main character as ash is in the series yeah you know and i gotta say despite them always trying to steal pikachu and all this shit i don't think they're actually bad people like i don't think they actually want to be part of team rocket they just need some sort of goal and it just happens to be the only thing they know how to do but in most cases, they seem to do the right thing. I mean, if you if you think now. back to all their backstories, James was a rich kid that they're... I don't... He wasn't abused, but, like, I think he was just neglected, so he ran away from home. Jesse wanted to be a nurse, but f- failed the exams or something, and then Meowth wanted well, to woo. Hold on. The reason she didn't become a nurse is because the market is oversaturated with nurses' joys. They are monopolizing the medical industry. She so that's she could have had the hairstyle. She had the same color. Well, roughly the same color. Yeah, she definitely she definitely could have done it. But yeah, nurse joy. There's obviously some some corruption going on because how did they all get uh, a nursing position across? All of Kanto. Like, it doesn't make sense. There's obviously some corruption involved. Aren't they in Johto as well? Mayor. I think there's Johto. Well, I think they're basically in everything, but... There's (laughs) so many of them. Anywho, way off topic. We could talk about Pokemon corruption (laughs) in a later time. That'd be a fun episode. So, that would be a really fun episode. Just talk about all the bullshit and mm-hmm. corruption going on. Like, just we, we make our own stupid theories. I like that. We, we should, should actually, we totally should actually do plan that. that. Yeah, I'm down for that. Anywho, so Team Rocket hitches a ride. Um, but Lugia struggles to get away when Team Rocket decides to let go because they're slowing him down, which I don't understand how they're slowing him down. Like, this creature can swim through the ocean. And the ocean has much more resistance than air. So I don't think a couple of 100-pound, 150-pound people are going to really slow you down. But whatever. So they hop off. And just when they're within eyesight of the ritual, the collector fires off one last barrage of electrical cages. Lugia fights them off and destroys his ship, but in the process uses all of his strength and falls back into the water with ash. So unconscious in the water... Misty and Tracy manage to swim out and pull him back up where he puts the final treasure up and Melody begins to play her song. And I know we kind of like glossed over this at the end, but I do love how they try to make it look heroic at the end. They give Ash his little heroic moment because he just passed out uh, from because he pretty much got electrical shocked with Lugia and he mm-hmm. nearly drowned, and so he probably doesn't have much strength. But then he goes and tries to walk up this flight of stairs, and they put like this really kind of like upbeat, inspirational music behind it. And 
when I first watched mm-hmm. it, I thought it was like probably one of the coolest scenes ever. But like when I rewatched it, I'm just like he's really like, just walking oh, up the oh. stairs, but they really did make it seem pretty cool. <laughs> Not gonna lie. But I'm just like, he's just walking upstairs and it literally lasts maybe like fifteen seconds and then it's kinda like done. <laughs> yeah. It's like okay. I thought so the when they put the whole really treasures in and like the whole light turns green and then the green water comes out and the crystallization of the thing. I thought that mm. was a cooler sequence. I really enjoyed yeah, that. Agreed. Uh, one thing before I move on. So they say like the description says Lugia uses aeroblasts to get away and destroy like the collector's ship and everything. But it looked like hyperbeam to me. Like every time Hyperbeam is shown in the anime. It's always like um, this color, like this orange. To be fair, to be fair, uh, in the first movie they called a Pidgeotto a Pidgeot or a Pidgeotto Pidgeotto, and they frequently mistranslate Pokemon names. So it's possible that they mistranslated I mean, that. They called or like put the wrong yeah, description. What we discussed in the first movie was it they saw a Scyther and called it Alakazam. Yeah. 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 But it would make sense for Aeroblast because I want to say at the time, I think Aeroblast was his signature move. So it would make sense for him to use it because they kind of wanted to show it off. But anyways, going back, the once the song is played, we see that like all three of the birds are exhausted. Articuno kind of got knocked out back in ice island and according to the a few descriptions because i was always confused at why moltres and zapdos i was like oh maybe they just got exhausted somehow they had tons of energy until then but apparently the attack lugia's attack hit them even though in the movie they like clearly missed but who knows but all of them finally begin to calm down and slowly fly together in the sky. But not only them, Lugia comes back restored and better than ever. And not only that as well, <laughs> he offers Ash another ride on his back. And during this flight, we see all the legendary birds flying together in peace. And we also see this like water tunnel thing fly in the air. Do you remember that? A little bit. Vaguely. So I had no idea what the hell ever that was. But now when I've looked into it, it makes sense. So if you remember back earlier in the movie, Professor Oak tells you why the whole balance is out of order. How the Orange Islands is how the ancients said this Orange Island water stream connects to basically all the water in the world. Well, that stream that connects them was that stream that was in the air. It was showing how it restored and then it falls back down under the water. So that's what that big water stream was. And I was hmm. now I'm like, oh my God, that makes sense. I was wondering why this random ass water stream would fly up. And I was very confused at why it was there. But huh. during this flight, we, like I said, 
sew them all together, but then once the song is over, he the water falls back down, the three birds go back to their respective islands, and all the Pokemon gather return to wherever they were as well. Lugia bids Ash farewell and returns back to the sea. And we finally see Ash mom meets up with him because he she was with Professor Oak during the whole thing that was going on. So they all finally get to meet up. And she yells at him for doing such a dangerous task. And Missy's like, but he just saved the world. <laughs> Don't be too harsh. And his mom's like, yeah, well, I almost lost my whole world. And they make a promise to always return home, which if you remember after every season, he actually does come back. So I don't know if they purposely did that or if that just kind of like, it just happened to fit. But I thought that was a little cool bit that that's kind of the reason why he always makes sure to return home is to keep a promise he made. And then we also get Mm -hmm. a little bit of epilogue. At the very end, where we see Team Rocket and Slowking break the fourth wall because they're like, oh, we did such a good thing. Too bad no one saw us. And he's like, guess again. And like, <laughs> what? They saw you and they're, everyone's watching you right now. And they kind of like break the whole fourth wall right there. So that was a cool little epilogue bit that they did they -hmm. gave team rocket a little bit of recognition for what they did yeah man yeah they always get done dirty they always do good deeds but no one ever sees them (laughs) it's always done in the shadows they're vigilante they're the dark knight so like i was mentioning a little bit of like why i enjoyed this movie we actually kind of talk about it we actually talked about a lot of the points already but like one of the things I liked is a, how realistic like the timeline was. A lot of it didn't feel forced. It all kind of like flowed naturally. Like it went with the story. And I don't know. I just feel like a lot of other things are kind of like forced into like different situations. Or mm-hmm. it's kind of like this situation happened to happen at a very rare chance and ash happens to be here and the one in one million right. chance this would happen where this story is kind of like oh this is a tradition that's been going on for centuries like yeah, yeah it's coincidence it oh, ju- oh i was just gonna say it just so happens that the collector was there but it's not like some freak thing like this is the guy's hobby i don't know it seemed more reasonable than some random freak incident so it, it, it just yeah like you were saying it just kind of works out it is more believable than most scenarios because like obviously the whole timing of the festival and everything like obviously they they need some plot to like mm-hmm. a reason why they're there but because of that and why he was as the chosen one and everything they managed to blend it in so well and like we said with that whole pun of the the world shall turn to ash like in this case, they literally mean Ash the person, but in the prophecy, they probably literally mean just turn to Ash. Mm-hmm. And so, how they like intertwined it made it so more like realistic and believable. That's one of the main reasons I liked it. One of the other ones also is 
yeah, Ash was put in, like, a dangerous scenario in this case. Like, having to go to Ice Island to recapture that. And if you know any of the other movies, he's always in some kind of dangerous scenario. And, like, the first movie, he practically dies. And But I like the fact that they didn't, like, do that. I feel like in a lot of more recent ones... It's almost like he has to, like, just narrowly die in movies <laughs> when it's like, you know he's not going to because, like, he's the absolute main character of, like, not just movies but the entire series. So even if he gets put into a life or death situation, it's not really life or death because you know he's going to come out alive. It doesn't have a shock factor as the first one where he... Yeah, the first one's crazy. Yeah, so I like that that this movie didn't really... I mean, yes, that could be very considered a life or death situation, but it wasn't to the point where it was like he was going to die. He was just in a very dangerous spot, and it made it more thrilling right. than just like, oh, let's have him die, but like come back to life, or like just actually he's about to die, and then some... Something comes and he just narrowly escapes. He was just constantly in danger. Yeah. I don't know if that kind of got that point across. <laughs> kind of weird saying. No, yeah, I, I, I th- yeah, I think it got a point. <laughs> kind of weird saying. I'd rather see the main character in danger than in the <laughs> death scenario. But yeah, no, I completely agree because when you consistently have those near death experiences, it does lose its wow factor and stuff. Whereas near danger, it's like, oh shit, this could turn at any moment type of thing more suspenseful there is one other movie i mean obviously when we get there i'll i'll come back to this comment if you guys remember but there is one other movie that he does have a near life death experience that it was a bit since he had it that i was like wow like they actually did this but again I knew he was the main character. Like he has so main character vibes that you knew he wasn't going mm-hmm. to die. So got that plot armor. Yeah, <laughs> his plot armor is very protective. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any last minute comments? Uh, I don't think I do. I think you covered it. I pretty much agree with you on most on most things there. One th- oh, actually, one thing I did want to say that I found interesting when watching this movie was the fact that. Um, it had the three legendary birds which are from first gen but then they included Lugia in it which is a second gen legendary so I thought it was interesting that they kind of linked the two gens with this movie it's kind of fun but that's about it it's just I thought that was interesting and really cool yeah I think it was definitely a good way to kind of slowly ease into it because I'm not sure when this came out where the Orange Islands was in the television series, but I know, I believe it's after the Orange Islands, He that's when he goes to Johto because he, yeah, I just think it was season one, Orange Islands, then Johto, so. Mm-hmm, I, I believe so. Oh. Yeah, I just, it was a nice little, um gateway even though it wasn't quite an obvious gateway you have to actually know your pokemon to know that it was two different gens but yeah it was nice i mean technically ho is also a gen 2 that we see in the very first episode but 
Very One more thing I wanted to say is I actually thought it was interesting that they had Pokemon cards in the Pokemon universe because they we did. do see the collector mentions he started out with a Mew card and then at the very end when his oh. ship is destroyed and he lost everything everything's destroyed but a Mew card and it's like that ancient Mew card if you remember that Ooh, I did not realize yeah that. so I thought it was weird. I'm like so Pokemon cards are canon in Pokemon universe huh yeah interesting maybe another thing we can bring up in a, a, a pokemon theory episode we have yeah yeah <laughs> start figuring out theories for that one question of the day i was trying to think of something that would fit for this movie because like you said it's kind of a gateway to like the the second one with like lugia I'll just go with this since we kind of already discovered it. What's your guys' legend, favorite legendary Pokemon? Like I mentioned, mine is still Lugia. Yeah. Mine is either Lugia, but a close second would be Entei. I know it's not in this movie, but just legendaries in general. Um, Lugia and Entei are my favorites. But if we're going strictly with these birds, Lugia for sure. I guess that could have been a better one out of the legendary birds. Moltres, Zapdos, Articuno, Lugia. And though he's not in it, but it's already been introduced, I will include Ho-Oh. So out of those five, which one is you guys' favorite? Yeah. Definitely Lugia. And if you say Ho-Oh, you're wrong. <laughs> uh, anyway. The, f- uh, the facts for the this episode. The Blu-ray and 2016 DVD release of this film does not include the opening short film, Pikachu's Rescue Adventure, which featured the film's title, Pokemon 2000. This caused turmoil from the fans, feeling that the movie was incomplete. And cards were given out at the theatrical release in the U.S. In the first week, a replica of Ancient Mew card was given out. And in the following weeks, cards for Legendary Birds, Zapdos, Moltres, and Articuno were given out. And I would have loved to get those as a kid i thought you had the ancient mew one or your brother did i i don't believe i had the ancient mew i know i had a lugia card i had Um, zapdos actually i come to think of it i think i have all three legendary birds the only bird i don't have is ho-oh i think i don't know if i had lugia maybe i had it at one but i know for sure for 100% 100% sure I had Zapdos. That's the only one I know for sure. The rest I may have, but I know Zapdos was the one I had. Yeah. Yeah, I think I actually have all three. Yeah, I still have my collection, actually. It's sitting somewhere in this Oh, house. I do, too. I don't know where it is. I know which house it is. Mine are, but I don't have them currently like with me, but I do know yeah. where they're at. Mine are somewhere in the chaos. <laughs> But that will be it for this episode. So don't forget to follow us or show us some love and support on patreon.com slash weepspawn. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at weepspawn. And you can contact us with questions or recommendations at weepspawn at gmail.com. That'll be all from us today. I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you guys next time when we weepspawn.